Welcome to Managing Projects, the podcast for project managers in search of trends and insights. Join us as our guests dig deep into the thought-provoking topics that matter most to project management professionals. You can find all the episodes at managingprojects.ca. And now, here's your host, Ron Smith. Welcome to this episode of Managing Projects. Today, I have Alexander Lowry, who is the professor of finance at Gordon College and director of the school's Master's of Science in Financial Analysis program. He's also a board of directors member for FinTech and financial services companies, which means he's transforming and accelerating and working with a lot of the businesses that his students want to work for in the future. So welcome, Alexander. Thank you, Ron. Pleasure to be with you today. I wanted to ask, you know, how does a former management consultant with, you know, a dozen years of experience in project management, because that was part of part of your history, end up leading a, a master's in finance program? Um, are there any connections to your PM skill set in the new role? I, I think there are a million of them, many of which I did not anticipate. And perhaps part of that is just once you're a project manager, that's your mindset. That is your your go-to habits. And I think they're good habits for the most part about how you go to get things done in a structured way. And this brand new, let's just call it a master's in finance program. It's not as much of a mouthful. It's probably a little bit easier. So this is a brand new program that we're starting out. And so you can imagine this is a portfolio of work that I have to do to get it off the ground. And I've got different projects that I'm managing under each of the various programs and different strands and keeping that all on track and together and delivering it to time, cost, and quality. That's just the definition of the way I think now. So it's been wonderful having that background and bringing that rigor and structure to Gordon College as a school, I think has been very helpful as well. You know, accountants must think this way. You know, you sit down with an accountant <laughs> and, and they're thinking dollars and, and how do I organize this, you know, financial structure. And and I, and I would agree with you that, that this, uh, you know, the skills that you learn in project management, they're just good. They're just good management skills. You're, you're breaking apart problems. You're identifying them. Well, they've, they've bled over into my personal life as well. So moving up here outside of Boston, we, we bought a house and my wife has all these great ideas for how we change it up. So God bless her. She's managing that while I'm, I'm getting the program off and running, but we're leading it in a structured project way, right? There's all the different tasks and, and what they roll up to and the timeline to get them all done. And for me, I, granted, I'm a logic-oriented person. I can't imagine any other way to get it done. There are other ways people could do, but I would think they'd be a little more painful. Well, uh, you just reminded me, a, a good friend of mine is all about the old Kanban boards, or I should say the new Kanban <laughs> boards. And he uses it, that with his family to organize chores oh. and, you know, whatever things that need to be done around the house. Or <laughs> He has a personal Kanban board. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, absolutely. I guess if it works in the office, it could work at home. Talk to me just for a minute. So what's the Master of Science in Finance Analysis? What's what's that program about? The easiest way to think of it as an alternative to the traditional MBA. So especially in America, the MBA is a default and everyone thinks that's what I have to go do at some point in my career. And this program was started to say that you don't have to do that in your career per se. An MBA is great for a lot of people, but it has an, a big cost. The opportunity cost is two years of no salary. And the average U.S. tuition for an MBA is $140,000, which is a big chunk of change, especially when most people probably have a lot of undergraduate debt. So this is a one-year master's in finance 
Excellence Program. And the way we explain it to people is if you don't know what you want to do with your life, an MBA is really good because your first year you get a little bit of everything, strategy, marketing, operations, marketing, accounting, finance, etc. And then your second year, you specialized after you've done your internship. Well, if you knew you just wanted to be a finance person and that's where you wanted to specialize, you basically take the second year skill set, that technical knowledge you'll get from the MBA. You do that in one year. We still build an internship into that component here. So you have that and the opportunity cost is half because it's only one year. And we only charge 30000 because we view that students have huge amounts of debt already. And I realize Canada is much more gracious to this in some ways than the U.S. is. But um, people are suffering under that today. Another big part for us is we're right outside of Boston. And when you think financial hubs, New York always comes to mind first in the U.S. And the second, it's pretty close between Boston and San Francisco. So we have access to all of those companies. So we view this as a way of someone to fast track their career to a successful um, opportunity in finance. It's totally a tech hub down there. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of people. So I've, I've, I'm from Moncton, New Brunswick, and there's a lot of uh, mm. really interesting uh, IT jobs that have its tentacles down in through the Boston area. It's really quite a neat spot. The city is thriving. Amazon is building a much bigger facility here. The city is really doing well. So it's thriving in uh, private equity and tech and lots of different spaces, clearly lots of great educational opportunities here as well. So I'm going to repaint that picture. You're, you're a project manager. <laughs> kind of That's kind of ingrained and baked into you. You're a finance guy. You're starting to work with some companies, and then here you come to an education, an educational um, uh, school. So what were some of the kind of learnings as you were trying to projectize this rollout of the program? What were some of the cultural dynamics that you uncovered? I think you've you've hit the nail on the head for it. Start in terms of the cultural elements. So when I was back in my management consulting days working in project management practice, all of my colleagues basically thought the same way. And that happens at a lot of companies, whether it's accounting firm or consulting firm, whatever it might be. You have the same language, the same mantra, the same mentality. Those people have been successful. That's why they've risen through the ranks there and they build a culture in a certain way. So imagine coming into academia, which is a very different beast and it works in a very different timeline. For example, a student in America has a four-year timeline, generally university, but a university is a seven-year timeline. Think about the committees and the progress they make and how they move decisions forward. So students look at it and they're like, well, this is crazy. This is very slow. It's like a dinosaur. I come into a, from a different perspective of doesn't have to go super fast, but are we doing it in a logical way? Do we have the stage gates? Do we have the right checkpoints? Are we making sure we've got the right thought process in the beginning to make sure we're headed down the right track? And especially in a smaller school, which doesn't have some of the resources that a, maybe a major institution like Ohio State, which is going to have a lot of rigor built into it, I think it can be very helpful to bring a different mindset and approach. It's great that we've done successful projects in other ways. What about if we thought adding this new way, this additional way of doing it? And that's been a I would say a little bit of a game changer here in how we go forward. When I talk to you about your experience there, what I liken it to is this, these two worlds that are somewhat colliding right now uh, between uh, IT software development, especially in the enterprise space. And then over on the other side, you have the internet of things manufacturers. So what I'm seeing is that these internet of things manufacturers are tech companies, but they're a different kind of tech company that, isn't necessarily attuned to how do you work with an enterprise customer? How, how does their mm -hmm. product end up, you know, um, being used in some of these enterprise solutions? 
because they're very good at churning out products and maybe their products might even have some code behind them. I'm seeing these companies that are then being asked to participate in an enterprise level project and they go, this is a little different. The interesting thing about, you know, your experience there taking your project management, you know, and kind of pushing it into the, to the school, I'm seeing that almost as a reverse happening where you've got your enterprise solutions that are heavily project managed. And the way you said everybody kind of got it the old way, you kind of, you would say something and everybody says, yeah, yeah, that's how we do things here. There's, there's a mm-hmm. very, there's a very different um, aspect to a lot of these companies that are generating um, products that are going to participate in these enterprise projects. So I just see this kind of uh, this merging of the two worlds, the same way you took uh, FinTech and project management and the education system as you know, having to bridge a gap. I'm seeing the same thing happening. And that makes total sense. Yeah. So let me ask you here. So at some point you made a pivot, you went from, you know, project management and then you went to uh, finance and now you're, now you're working for an education, an educational institution. (laughs) So, um, you know, for the listeners out there who might be contemplating some of these, it's a, you've kind of done two fairly radical swings in your background. Mm. Uh, What, what would you say to some of those people uh, having just gone through it twice now. It's interesting. So if I, I look at it, uh, part of it is, I think your intelligence and passion that you bring to something is part of a learning curve getting up. And part of it is the, the skills that you bring from what translates from one job to another. So for me, the career trajectory was when I finished university, I started in consulting, did that for a dozen years. And then my MBA at Wharton was the bridge to move over into financial services. And after four and a half years there, this job came calling and it took my same financial services knowledge, but brought it up to a much higher quality work-life balance. And both of my professors' uh, parents were both professors. So in some ways, there's a history of the family. It's not that big of a leap, but um, they are something, when you look at it for an employer and they say, well, how am I going to plug and play you from where you've been to where you want to be? And I, I feel like there are three parts of a job change and you can change one easily, two is hard as three is almost impossible. So you've got your geography, you've got your industry, and you've got your function. So for me, if I'm going from consulting, I'm staying in New York City, my geography is the same. I'm moving from consulting to financial services. Now the question is going to be, were you going to say, well, I was consulting to financial services, so maybe that's not a problem. And if your function is going to be similar to consulting skill set, it's easier for a person on the other side of the table to translate it over. So I always think, how do I help the person doing the interview for me realize how I'm going to help them? And again, there's three things I think about. You can either, let's pretend the, the boss is hiring you. You're going to do one of three things for the boss. You're going to make the company money, save the company money, or you're going to make the boss's job easier or a combination of those. And for me, the consulting to financial services was at a time when JP Morgan was getting beat up by the regulators. We were in the headlines. The London whale scandal was happening and management did not know what was going on was literally the problem at the bottom of the house. So I was brought in in a management consulting mindset to build out a brand new unit to help set that up. So that was a directly attributable skill set. In the same way, going from JP Morgan to where I am now at Gordon College, it's that same financial skill set that I'm bringing, and they, they like that pedigree. And I'm also bringing that consulting skill set just by my nature. It's part of my DNA now and bringing that over and helping 
that come across. Does that make sense in terms of, I think, for everybody, when you want to translate from one career to a next, even though you may not feel it's a leap, you have to help the other person to feel like, oh, this is not a big leap, and here's why I get it. You're checking the boxes for me. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I think it's a good approach. That's often why they hire a consultant, right, is uh, mm-hmm. to help them to figure out a, a plan to get through um, you know, some type of goal, some type of business goal. Yeah, I guess I tend to think about it from, I'll use an analogy from when I lived in the UK and I was there for seven years. At that time, British Airways was building Terminal 5. And you will you will bring a consultant in-house as a full-time employee if you need that skill set and it's for the long term. And you will outsource to a consultant. And this is a great example of maybe it's something you you don't need to do. You've never done the past. You're never going to do again. British Airways. They've never built Terminal 5 before. They're never going to build it again. It does not make sense to buy all these people and bring them as full-time employees. You're better off for short-term hiring the specialist expertise and helping them get that up and running, and then they're back to whatever their life is. Oh, boy. I think I could hang out all afternoon and talk to you about this stuff. This (laughs) This is really quite cool. I do want to ask you this one. Um. So, so now you find yourself, you're at the head of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Talk just for a little bit, if you will, about, you know, that generation of your tech students or your finance students that are, that are, that are coming through the gates. Yeah. And it's fascinating to see how much finance is changing and, and people will jump to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And that, that's just one simple example, but JP Morgan, for example, I'll go back to them because they are basically four Fortune 500 companies in one, right? It is massive, a quarter of a million people. And Jamie Dimon, the CEO, will on occasion say, we are a fintech company. And you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt. But his point is, look, we spend, I don't know, a billion dollars a year on technology, and we are trying to build some of the newest solutions. And if we don't, we're going to partner with the people who are, maybe we're just going to buy them out and bring it in-house. And technology is changing so much and so fast. You know, think about simple things like they've saved something like 10,000 hours a year uh, from hiring lawyers by using the bots. And the bots don't get sick and they don't take vacation. And you basically are really saving so much money on it. It's finding the simple ways to do it better. But that's just on the low-hanging fruit end, right? There's Think about simple things that have changed that we now think is simple. Mm-hmm. The revolution of things, PayPal was an early one. And there's all these ways the technology companies are changing finance for the better. It does upset the apple cart, but look at the millennials. Their adoption of technology is such that they want it better, faster, and cheaper. They want it to be convenient for them when they need it. People who fill those void are going to have the opportunity to serve those customers. So banks need to change and grow and develop. And for me, I love being a board member, working with some of these companies to identify the possibilities and bring it to market. So our time is running short and I want to thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today and to let us know what's going on in the school and the transition. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Ron, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Managing Projects podcast. Find show notes and more at managingprojects.ca and follow us on Twitter at manage underscore P-R-O-J. If you enjoy the show, help us out by recommending it to a friend or leaving a review on iTunes. Talk to you next time.